Hello everyone and welcome once again to Let's Talk Catholic with Father Scott Lawler. As we always do, let's start with the prayer for the cause of sainthood for Venerable Bishop Frederick Barriger. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O God, thank you for the life and holiness of your servant, Frederick Barriger. I pray you will honour him by the title of saint. He dedicated himself completely to missionary activity to make you known, loved, and served by the people who you love. As a man of peace and love, Barriger brought peace and love wherever he travelled. Lord, grant Venerable Bishop Barriger the grace of beatification. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And in our Barriga diary, so just to remind everybody that it's the diary of Bishop Frederick Barriga, the first bishop of Marquette, Michigan, edited and annotated by Regis M. Walling and the Reverend N. Daniel Rupp, translated by Joseph Gogorich and the Reverend Paul Prudhomme, uh, who is a Jesuit. It's published by Wayne St State University, Detroit, Michigan. And it's just to let people know that that's the book that uh, over this this year, um, I'm trying to go through diary entries of Bishop Barriga in order to let us know on a month-to-month -month basis the kind of things that he was having to put up with and dealing with during the particular month. So then we also see the weather, because as he, he does talk about the weather and the kind of things that he was dealing with then. So... Starting in May of 1854. First entry is May 3rd. From Munich to Augsburg, spent the night with Count Taufkirchen in Augsburg. May 5th. Arrived in Paris, where I again reside at the foreign missions. May 20th. From Paris through Brussels, Malain, etc. to Antwerp. On the 21st, arrived in Antwerp. And we have a footnote there. On the day of their departure from Paris, Barriga, with his priests and seminarians, attended a general meeting of the propagation of the faith in the Church of St. Roch. Archbishop of Paris and many priests and laity were present. The Archbishop addressed the meeting. Then back to the entries. May 24th, from Antwerp via London to Liverpool. May 27th, from Liverpool, on the British steamship Niagara to Halifax, where I landed on June 6th, 10 days from shore to shore. As a footnote, Reverend Lawrence Dunn accompanied Barriga, where the others sailed from Antwerp on May 31st. Then that's the entries for May 1854, so not many then. Moving on to May of 1855, May 2nd, in Detroit, where, God be thanked a thousand times, I have found my trunk, which has been lost, and the footnote tells us it had been lost since the previous August, 
and this is May of the following year. $600 in gold for Indian schools, 600 still remains with moor and foot for the end of June or for the middle of July. May 4th, today at 10am, arrived in Cincinnati, where I again found a hospitable welcome with Father Hammer. May 9th, today I received the first proof sheets of the first version of the Kagiwe Dewe. Now, the footnote's very interesting, or just slightly interesting maybe. The, the barrier came to the end of the line and apparently didn't want to put only a few letters on the next line. Such a decision uh, would reflect his carefulness to waste nothing. Barriga also had a fifth edition of the Indian prayer book, the anime Masinagangin, printed at this time. So that, remember now, this said, because we're going to hear the full thing, so this is the Kagewe Dewe, that's how he's written it. So May 13th, this Sunday, the first Provincial Council of Cincinnati opens. May 20th, today the Provincial Council was solemnly concluded. May 25th, Timothy McNamara reported to me as a school teacher for Little Traverse Bay. And there's a footnote for him. He was hired as a teacher by Barriga in Cincinnati. May 26. Today I corrected the last sheets of the Kagewe Debiwaninan. So he, the, he cut four letters off of the that earlier entry that I mentioned from May 9th, all for the sake, according to the people who've put the book together, all for the sake of not having to start a new line and waste a new line. Now, that shows you how precious paper was then. Um, so the full entry, therefore, today I corrected the last sheets of the Kagawe Debiwanin. Now I have only the title page, etc. 17 days, in brackets. And there's a footnote for that. Began on May 9th, the task of proofreading took 17 days. That's what that means. And that's the end of the entries for 1855. May 1856. Now it looks to me as if having read this, that this is all written after the fact, as you'll see from the way the, the entries sound. May 4th and small, and they were the first steamers on the spring. So I'm going to read you out what the earlier entry is, the one before. So it says, on April 29th, the superior should have arrived here it was stranded 30 miles from here, Little Anibush, and finally arrived on May 5th. Meanwhile, the Manhattan and North Star came up May 4th, and they were the first steamers on the spring, May 9th. Departures from the Sioux and on May 10th arrived at Detroit, where on May 11th I preached in the cathedral at 11 o'clock and at half past 7 at St. Joseph. May 12th, I celebrated Pontifical Mass in St. Mary's Church and confirmed 103 persons. May 13th, from Detroit via Sandusky to Cincinnati, where on May 14th I arrived at 10am. May 24th, journeyed to Detroit for the dedication of St. Joseph's Church. There's a footnote for that. On Sunday morning last, several Catholic societies and military companies of Detroit and others, accompanied by bands of music, assembled in Randolph Street, in front of the bishop's residence, and from thence proceeded in order to the church. 
They were met by a procession from the school of young girls beautifully dressed in white and teachers carrying small baskets of flowers with garlands on their heads, attended by the pastor. The bishops and priests then alighted from their carriages, vested themselves and preceded by these children, singing hymns and strewing flowers along the way, entered the church, which was handsomely and appropriately decorated outside, outside and in with trees and flowers. When the ceremony of blessing the church was over, Pontifical High Mass was celebrated by the Right Reverend Bishop Lefebvre, assisted by Reverend Messrs Kindikins and Worley as deacon and subdeacon. Many other clergymen were also in attendance. The Venerable Bishop Barriga of Sous-Saint-Marie preached in the German language and the Reverend Father Francis in the English language. After Mass, the bishops and priests were escorted to the residence of the pastor by the Jäger Guard. In the evening, the Pontifical Vespers was sung by Bishop Barriga, and thus ended the day devoted to Almighty God and the dedication of his temple. And that's from a Detroit Catholic uh, newspaper. May 25th, preached at St. Joseph's, and May 27th, at 6pm, arrived again in Cincinnati. May 31st, now the printing is finished, but I will wait here another week for the collections. That's the printing of the statutes of the diocese. That's the first edition. And that ends the entries for 1856. May 1857. May 8th. Finally, this afternoon, the first boat arrived, North Star. Right after it, the second, Illinois. The poor Manhattan struck a rock on its way up here and sank right at the wharf. Captain Ripley, the poor man, and the footnote tells us, the H in wharf was added later in pencil. May 9th, McNamara came up this afternoon on the Lady Elgin, and I sent him immediately to La Pointe instead of Mr Hickey. McNamara was the man we heard about in the previous month's entry who had been um, employed as a teacher, I believe. May 10th, it snowed heavily all day. We shall see how long this charming spring snow will remain. And then in brackets, it started, it stayed two days. May 13th. We heard today that all the steamers are still lying in West King Bay, waiting for a northern passage, as it were, through the ice. Wherefore, they probably will be waiting eight or ten days. We shall see. Today also, the last little pile of winter snow in front of my window has finally melted away. May 16th. Today it is again snowing heavily. Bravo, spring! Oh, you delightful, charming month! Month of ice! May 21st. Today the river is full of floating ice. The steamers are probably still all in West King Bay. May 22nd, this is the next day. The Illinois came up. She had time to make the trip, but she will wait before she proceeds up on Lake Superior. May 23rd. No, because today the General Taylor came down and brought news that steamers can at last continue their journey. Still floating ice in St Mary's River. Today, for the first time, I made a fire only in the morning. May 24th. Especially today, I've had lingering, definite, resolute thoughts and plans of resigning and again becoming an Indian missionary. 
as a footnote. The original German is abbreviated and unclear, but the sense of the statement accurately represents Barriger's mood. He finishes this entry off by, Thy will be done, O Lord, and so continually and everywhere. May 25th. The soldiers arrived today. That's the summer contingent for Fort Bradley or Brady. May 26th. Left the Sioux and arrived at Mackinac. May 28th. The Point St. Ignis. Two points in Ignis where I remain until Pentecost Sunday. There I had unpleasantness because of the bishop's land. Bishop Rezé had acquired extensive land for the church at St. Ignis. Wood from the property provided income. Some buildings were used as residences, i.e. for the teachers and the Catholic schools at St. Ignis. Um, Barriger wrote to Rezé, Please send me a certificate that you bought your property at Point St. Ignis for the use of every pastor there. There's no record of the response that Bishop Rizé would say. Finishing the May 28th entry, I told Sefi uh, Gravery that after August 1st she can remain in the Bishop's house only under sentence of great excommunication. Uh, presuming it doesn't, there's no football footnote about that, but I'm con- presuming that this is all part to do with getting rents and who owns what and how long people have been living in it and things like that. Um, bit of a nightmare for the bishop, uh, especially since he's not living there all the time. That ends the entries for May 1857. And now the entries for May 1858. May 2nd, Sunday. The Second Provincial Council of Cincinnati began, and on May 9th it was concluded. May 14th. Today I finally finished the editions of the Anime Miss and the Anime Mass. They're the uh, catechism, I think, for the one of the Indian groups. May 16th. Now, there's a place here, the, the name of the place in Turkey is Gallipoli. I'm presuming that it's probably... In the UP, it's probably pronounced Gallipolis. But, um, so, I'm just letting everybody know. If it's Gallipoli, that's how it's said in Turkey. The place Gallipoli is famous and from the First World War. It's where the Anzac soldiers, the Australians and New Zealanders, faced a terrible onslaught of, uh, during uh, trying to take... It was a, a seaward landing on a beach, and they were caught in a cove, and they were... They, they, Deaths were terrible, and it was planned and pushed forward by the then Admiral or Rear Admiral Winston Churchill, and it nearly killed his career. And of course, as we all know, um, the Second World War started, and by then Churchill was a a member of Parliament and became Prime Minister. And as the rest, as they say, is history. So I'm going to pronounce it as Gallipolis because. I suspect that's probably how it's said. Uh, So May 16th at Gallipolis, in place of Archbishop Purcell, I blessed the church and then went to Pomeroy to Mr. Albrinick. From there I left on May 18th and on May 19th arrived in Cincinnati. So let's see some footnotes here. 
Gallipolis is on the western shore of the Ohio River, 175 miles east of Cincinnati, so it's not the UP at all. And Pomeroy is 20 miles north of Gallipolis. The Reverend John C. Albrecht, pastor at Pomeroy, who also served Gallipolis. Then we're going back to the entries, May 23rd. Pentecost Sunday. In St. Mary's Church, I solemnly pontificated and preached a sermon of farewell. May 25th. Finally, after three months left Cincinnati, I received there over $400 for Mass intentions and from collections. And there's a footnote for that. May God grant the humble, spiritual, zealous disciple of the Apostles a safe journey. That was a and message that was sent to Bishop Barrigan, I believe. Then May 26, at 3 a.m., I arrived in Detroit, where I live with the Redemptorist Fathers. Mr. Finch has paid me the debt of Dylan O'Brien with $191 in silver. And there's a footnote there. The superior pastor at St. Mary's, Reverend John Hepsoline, of CSSRs, that's the Redemptress, frequently sent mass stipends to Barriga. May 28th, at 11am, sailed from Detroit on the North Star and arrived on the 29th at 1pm. 26 hours later, arrived at Sousson Marie. Footnote, Barriga wrote, My return voyage was happy and at my arrival here I found all in good order. Next week I intend to start for my Indian missions on Lake Michigan and will not be back again for five or six weeks. That was Barriga in a letter to Bishop Purcell sent from Sousson Marie on May 31st of this year. That ends the entries for May of 1858. Now we're on to the May entries for 1859. Now one of these has a footnote that is very long so I'm going to do the May entries for 1859, then go back to the the footnote to, to read it, and it, it, it might take a, a while, but hopefully we've, we're all finding this interesting. So May 3rd, this morning between 7 and 8 o'clock, three boats arrived, the North Star, the Lady Elgin, and the Iron City. The Northern Light has aggrounded somewhere. The Illinois will arrive perhaps tomorrow. May 15th, Sunday at 4am, I departed from the Sioux on, Lord, on board the Lady Elgin and the same day at noon arrived at Mackinac where I found D. O'Neill and sent him to Ontonoggin. Now, this uh, visitation that I've just mentioned, there's a very large footnote because Bishop Barriga wrote an extensive account of this visitation. So as I said, I'm going to finish May and then go back and read this footnote. So May 17th. Went to Pont St Ignace, but since the fishermen were already all away, I promised to come in February 1860, Miserere. May 19th. Arrived in Cross Village and took the necessary measures in Father Wellcamp's convent. And there's a footnote for that. There's no record of what situation required necessary measures or what action Barriga took. 
May 20th, this morning at 8 o'clock, I sailed from Cross Village to Garden Island, arrived there at 2pm, thanks to a good wind. May 22nd, Sunday, offered Mass in Beaver Harbour and confirmed 24 persons. After Mass, we discussed building a church and a priest's residence whom the Lord of the Vineyard may send to me. As a footnote, from Beaver Harbour, Barriga sent the following report. Sir, I come hither some days ago on a missionary visit to the Indians, and to my great sorrow I find that they are drinking liquors more and more, notwithstanding our prohibition. But I am very glad to see the efforts of our school teacher, who labours very fruitfully indeed. Though his efforts are not always crowned with success, through the fault of the parents who don't compel their children to attend regularly to his school. I understand that a petition was sent against him by some Indians who were pushed to it by some liquor seller who hate Mr. Donovan. I request you, Mr. Fitch, not to heed that petition, if really one has been sent to you, and to believe me when I tell you that you could hardly find a better and more industrious and able teacher than Mr. Donovan. So I respectfully request you not to remove him. And that's Barriga to Fitch, sent from Beaver Harbour, May 22nd, 1859. And then May 22nd at 8am, embarked at Garden Island and reached Cross Village at 1.30pm. May 29th, Sunday, preached twice in Cross Village, but no confirmations. May 31st. Sailed with a good wind to Middle Village and preached there on June 2nd on the Feast of the Ascension of Our Lord. So now I'll go back to this rather long footnote um, about the visitation that Bishop Barrier made. A few days ago, I have again returned from my visitation journey to the missions and now I wish to insert this brief report on the same in your esteemed periodical if you will obligingly accept it. From this journey I returned half sick and exhausted because it was a difficult, circuitous journey through all our missions among the Ottawa Indians. In these missions one must either go from one mission to another on foot or sail on the stormy Lake Michigan in a small Indian boat, which is often connected with danger to life, and which would be even more dangerous if the Indians were not so skilled in guiding their boats. On these journeys one must also spend the night at times on the shore, and this spring the nights were very cold. I set out on a visitation this spring at the first opportunity that I could find to Mackinac and St. Ignace. However, this opportunity did not come before May 15th, because the ice remained in our St Mary's River a very long time this year. And when I came to these two mission places, the people, whose occupation and service consist mostly in fishing, had already sailed for their spring fishing grounds. These poor people are hired by white employees to catch fish. The employers provide them with empty barrels, nets and salt, and pay them four or five dollars for each barrel, which they fill and salt. Among these fishermen, there are many who are already adults and have not yet been confirmed, because they are never there when the bishop comes on a visitation. 
Therefore the missioners said to me that I should come in winter in order to meet them. Therefore in winter, in the first days of the month of February, 1860, I shall have to make a journey on foot or snowshoes, with snowshoes, to Mackinac and St. Ignace. These winter journeys on foot are now difficult for me, first because I am now already somewhat out of practice, and secondly, also because of my age. Since next Thursday, if I live, I will be in my 63rd year. In these years, especially when one past years which have suffered hardships, one is already somewhat stiff and feels the cold. The marching throughout the day is still tolerable, but when it comes to the evening to spend the night on the snow under the open sky in the northerly climate, that does not go well. By the tiresome walking on snowshoes over hill and dale, one is in sweat the entire day, despite the cold, so that all the underwear becomes wet, and in the evening, when one comes to a halt, he then soon feels extremely cold and begins to shiver as if he had a fever. If on these winter journeys I could come every evening to a house, then they would not be difficult for me. But in this desolate country, one must often travel many days before he again comes to a house. Such is the lot of a missionary bishop, which, however, I do not feel hard because I have been a missionary in these dreary this dreary country for so many years, only the years oppressed me somewhat. From St. Ignace Mission, I sailed in an Indian boat to Cross Village, where a worthy German missioner of the third order of St. Francis, Father Seferin Zorn, who in a short time had learned Indian well, worked zealously for the honour of God and for the salvation of his Indians. This is a pure Indian mission. Mackinac and St. Ignace are mixed missions. They are Indians, half-Indians, Canadian, French and Irish, but in Cross Village, all are Indians. The Indians were glad to again see their old missionary and bishop. As soon as they saw the boat coming from afar, they rang the mission bell, and all assembled. The school teacher, who is a brother of the Third Order, came at the head of his school children, who carried two flags, and whom the Indians joined down to the shore in order to welcome the bishop. They all knelt down to receive the bishop's blessing, and then, with salvos and the ringing of the bell, accompanied me into the mission church. There, after a short address, I again gave them the holy blessing. In general, the Indians everywhere welcomed the bishop thus. In this mission, I always have such consideration, because the poor Indians there are good and very diligent in attending church, and the missioner is exemplary and zealous. From there I sailed to the Beaver Islands, which are situated in the middle of Lake Michigan, between the Upper and Lower Michigan. Two of these islands are inhabited, one by Indians and the other by whites, mostly Irish. When I came to these missions for the first time, only Indians lived there. But since some years, the whites began to settle on the large Beaver Island, and certainly the worst kind of whites, namely the Turkish-minded Mormons, with their numberless wives, and in short time there were more than 300 families there of these abominable people, and they applied such an absolute rule over the entire beautiful island that none other could settle there. Besides their Mohammedan polygamy, they were also kind of pirates and thieves, and caused so much disturbance that, finally, the neighbouring settlements, especially the inhabitants of Mackinac, united themselves against them, hired a large steamship, the USS Michigan, 
and with armed forces drove the thieving Mormons from Beaver Island. Now this beautiful and large island, which for many years was the seat of the cruelest devil worship, is populated almost entirely by Catholics, mostly Irish, some German and French, who sincerely wish nothing more than to have a church and a priest soon in their midst. On May 27th, on the fourth Sunday of Easter, I said Holy Mass there in the spacious schoolhouse and preached in English for the first time on this island. And after the Holy Mass, I administered Holy Confirmation to 24 persons. All these persons, with the exception of only one boy, were adult people. Among them were also old men and women who never before had had an opportunity to see a bishop in their midst. After the divine service, the women and children went out and I held a conference with the men. How and where a church on this island was to be built, which they all want very much. After that, I sailed from, to the smaller island named Garden Island, which is inhabited by the Indians. From time to time, are visited by the Reverend Missioner Lazorn. These Indians are now all Catholics and hold firmly to the faith, despite the evil examples with which they were surrounded when the Mormons lived in their neighbourhood. Until now, they still had their own their old chapel put together with tree bark. But now they are about to build themselves a regular church out of the nicest cedar wood that I have ever seen, and which is already all hewn and ready for the building. Such building entirely out of cedar wood can last more than a hundred years if only the roof is repaired from time to time. Then, in company with the zealous missioner Zorn, I visited two other mission stations, and on June 3rd I reached the mission of the Little Travers, the former Arb Croche. This was my first mission among the Indians, which I began on May 28, 1831. Here the Indians have a beautiful and spacious church, which they have built themselves. In general, these Indians are already rather advanced in civilization. Nearly all are cabinet makers and carpenters, and they also make their own boats. When I came here for the first time, the Indians had only canoes from Birch Park. Now such canoes are not seen anymore. At this visitation of mine, an incident occurred to me which previously had not happened in our Indian missions. A young Indian girl of 18 or 19 years, her name apparently turned out was Margaret Sagima, according to the testimony of the missionaries, leads a pious life for many years and every Sunday goes to communion, came to me and urgently begged me to accept her into the Ursuline convent at Sault Ste. Marie. I was surprised by such a request from an Indian girl, because this nation, as well as the Hebrew and other ancient nations, esteem and desire only the married state. To proceed safely, I called her parents and asked them about their daughter, and they testified that several youths had already asked her to marry them, but she refused any offer, and always said that she wants to remain single all her life. Then I questioned her repeatedly if she really wants to leave everything and go into the convent, and she assured me that this was her only wish. Therefore I took her with me, and she accept was accepted in her Ursuline convent as a novice if she will only remain persevering. In Little Travers, Father Lewis Sifferath is missioner, a conscientious, zealous and pious German priest, who in a short time has learned the Indian language fairly well and who is still perfecting himself in it daily. 
after I had visited two more small mission stations in company with Father Zephyrath and everywhere preached in the, to the Indians, I arrived on June 9th in Grand Travers. This is the mission of Father Nriak, who labours already for many years as a zealous and judicious missionary among the Indians. There I was very pleasantly surprised when I saw how nicely Father Mirak had prepared and improved his mission church from the outside and inside. On the return trip, in the night, which was stormy and cold, we had to disembark and spend the night on the shore. I had no blanket with me, but fortunately my cloak. I had laid down on the cold sand and spent the night shivering. On the following morning I could scarcely speak and also could scarcely get up. I caught a bad cold. On the 17th instant, I finally arrived again, to my joy, and that of others here in Sault Ste. Marie, where I shall remain a few weeks and then undertake a new visitation journey on Lake Superior, which will last about two months. And that was from Bishop Barriga, um, and was printed in the WF. I can't remember what the WF is. Um, I will now have a look and see if I can find that so I can tell you at the end of that. So the WF is the Wahrheitsfront in Cincinnati. Well, that translates from German as the Friend of Truth. So that must have been a German language uh, periodical in Cincinnati that Bishop Barriger had sent that to. So that ends the entries for May um, 1859. We're now moving on to the entries for May 1860. So now the entries for May 1860. Now, there's a couple of largish footnotes, which I'm going to do in order this time, uh, because I, whatever we get to is whatever we get to. I think we will get May of 1860 uh, done. We'll just need to see how it goes for the rest. So May 1st. Last night it snowed a little so that this morning we had a nice white beginning of beautiful spring. Departed for Portage Lake with Mr. Buntner, Montferret and family on the Lady Elgin. So the footnote. On this day, Mother Mary Xavier and Sister Angela left the Sioux, not without regrets for Chatham. They arrived there on May 9th, Mother Mary Xavier, the Behan to Ursuline community of Clermont, she'd written that. Barraga gave the details of his trip to Houghton, but did not mention the difficulties with Father O'Neill. In the same letter he described his second and chief visitation journey to Lake Superior from the summer of 1860. On May 1st, I boarded a steamboat, and on the first day it went on very well and quietly, but on the second day we struck an incalculable floating ice field which prevented us from sailing. We had to remain idle for 20 hours until the wind drove away the ice field and provided us with a passageway. Similar incalculable ice fields one sees on Lake Superior till late in May, and at times even in June. I recently read in a newspaper that in St. Petersburg, Russia, no more ice was to be seen since the end of April, and that at that time navigation could be continued unhindered, and from this I concluded that the temperature in Lake Superior must be colder than in the northern Baltic Sea. 
The first mission that I visited was the mountain town of Portage Lake, or Houghton, where we have a very spacious church, but which already has become too small, inasmuch as the copper mines are very productive in that region. This draws the miners and other labourers to there. There are already about 4,000 persons in the settlement, Irish, English, American, German and French, and almost half of the population is Catholic. A German priest, the Reverend Edward Jacker, is now there, but he preaches and hears confessions also in English and French very well. When I was there, we decided to build a second church, for the present one cannot accommodate all Catholics. My next visit was to the city of Superior, at the westernmost end of the lake of the same name. There the people were extraordinarily pleased to again see a servant of God, because the pious and zealous missioner, Father Van Pemel, who attended this mission from La Pointe, has become so sick last fall that he could not work any more and therefore returned to his native country, Belgium, to again restore his health if possible. I see from a letter that he has written me that he wishes to return, but until now his shattered condition of health has not permitted it. His mission people, who are attached to him with much love, were very sad when they saw him go away, and sadder when throughout the winter they had to be without a priest, because the sick missioner went on the last steamboat, and then one could not come to La Pointe and Superior any more until May, when navigation is again open. That is why the people were pleased when they saw me. I remained ten days in Superior, and there I was once more a simple missioner. I often sat all day in the confessional, and on other days I instructed the children and adults, baptised them, blessed their marriages, and performed, in general, all the functions of a simple priest. From there I went to La Ponte, about 80 miles this side of Superior. This was my first mission on Lake Superior, which I had founded 25 years ago. Here too I stayed 10 days and performed all the functions of a simple missioner. There I was again right in my element, and very satisfied, for the Indian missions are truly my element. In these two mission stations I baptised 64 persons, some children, some adults, and only a few had died since the absence of the sick missioner. The members of our mission continued to increase, while among the wild, unconverted Indians there are more and more deaths, so that now there are few as yet unconverted. On June 10th I baptised 23 persons at La Pointe, and preached five times, twice in the morning and three times in the afternoon. After I had performed everything, I went to the mountain city of Minnesota, where the Reverend Martin Fox is missioner. He has now entirely completed his nice and spacious church, and has a large congregation of Germans, Irish and French. Although his church is the biggest in the diocese, it can scarcely accommodate two-thirds of his congregation. On Sundays, many must stand outside during the divine service. Fortunately, the church has three large doors which are left open, so that the people standing outside can see the priest at the altar and hear the sermon. Throughout the past winter, there were two priests at Minnesota, the Reverend Martin Fox, a Prussian, and the Reverend John Chibul, a Camolian from the Diocese of Libyenia. Immediately upon his arrival last fall, I sent for Reverend Chibul. I sent him to Minnesota so that he would learn their English and French, and he was 
has applied himself to these two languages with such diligence and with such wonderful success, so that since the last three months he hears confessions and preaches in English and French languages. In less than six months he has learned well these two languages, about which he knew practically nothing. Whereby we were all astonished, because this has never before occurred to us. I have now sent him to La Pointe, from where he will also take care of Superior and the other small mission stations. In Minnesota, he had no need for the Indian. At his present mission, it will be indispensable to him. I hope that by his application and with the talents of languages, that he will learn it sufficiently in a year to preach without an interpreter. After I had visited and taken care of these missions, it was time for me to return to Sousambri because of my correspondence, and it was really about time that I came home, inasmuch as a large number of letters awaited me, some of which require an early reply. However, in two or three days, I will go again on another mission visitation, journey to the southern part of my extensive but sparsely inhabited half-Indian diocese. And May 2nd, up to Whitefish Point, all went well, but there we were detained by the ice about 20 hours, noteworthy for Bericht. That's a publication uh, back in Austria that he used to send things to. Uh, St. Petersburg, which um, in Russia, which is what I mentioned, uh, is ice-free by April. May 3rd, arrived at the entry port a point about 1pm, went directly to Lens to introduce the Montferrat family because I thought Father Jacker would still be there, but he had already gone to Portage Lake. May 4th, from Lens to Portage Lake, where I arrived at noon and immediately handed O'Neill his document of interdict and removed him from the house. If you remember, this is a priest, an Irish priest, who is a drunk and a belligerent drunk at that. May 5th, this morning I again offered Holy Mass. All day I have been most had mostly unpleasant visitors, as a footnote, probably the Irish who supported Father O'Neill. May 6th, Sunday, preached in English, French and German and described the unfortunate O'Neill according to his deserts. Since July 3rd, 1859, O'Neill had been on probation and recommended that the people now come more regularly to church, etc., May 7th to 8th. Always the same trouble. The miserable man wants to have his exeat from me by force, and I do not give him one. He goes from house to house and gathers a following for himself, but also this will be of no use to him. May 9th. Again the old song. I guess O'Neill acquired a few new signatures, but he mentions nothing about them to me. I compose a warning to all the right reverend prelates, and the footnote for that says, on of the 39 letters sent, only those to Bishop Purcell and Bishop Lefebvre men. My Lord, I must respectfully warn your grace never to receive in your diocese one Dennis O'Neill, an Irish priest. He is a hard drinker and a most scandalous priest. He is now under the censure of suspension or interdict. And that's the one that Barriga sent to Bishop Purcell. On May 10th, already yesterday evening, we, that's myself, Father Jacker and Butner, copied many copies 
of the warning and this morning we completed them. Departure from Houghton to entry on Bendry's Scow. Bendry's Scow. Captain James Bendry was born in June 1822. In 1841 he became came to the Great Lakes and in 1845 became a deckhand on the Independence, the first steamer to travel the full length of Lake Superior. At the Sioux, in 1846, he married Charlotte Contour, a woman of French and Indian blood. They had 11 children, his wife and two children were with him, when he moved from Sault Ste. Marie on the Siskowit in 1850. A severe winter storm stranded them in Keweenaw Bay, thus they became the first settlers on the location now known as Barrigan. Bishop Barrigan and his priests did business at Bendry's sawmill in Brickyard and sailed on his ships. Charlotte Bendry died in, eight, in May 28, 1892, and James Bendry died on October 14, 1894. They were buried from the old mission church at Assinins and were interred in the Catholic Indian Cemetery. There we are, that was a footnote about them. We found the Elgin there, but she was going up May 11th. All day, footnote, the word day was entered later in pencil, in tedious waiting for the mineral rock, which was expected already yesterday. That's a, clearly a steamer. Um, Red Butler all day, if I mentioned before, that would be Alban Butler's Lives of the Saints. May 12th. This morning there was still no appearance of the mineral rock. Just as I write this, I hear the whistle of the mineral rock in which we sail for the Sioux. On this day, the first boats pass through the repaired Sioux Saint Marie Canal. May 13th, Sunday. I spent this day on the boat as well as I could. Spent all day reading the long breviary and butler. At about 4pm, we arrived at the Sioux, where I received all kinds of letters, among them also a cheque, for about $1,450 from the Leopoldine Society. Thanks be to God. May 14th. Had difficulties with the cheque. The number reads £294 sterling and the letter says 287 instead of 97 This is the first cheque. Now I must wait for a second, hoping it will be more correct. Apparently the two cheques were mailed each time for security. Often the mail was lost and two separate letters provided more assurance that at least one letter would arrive safely. If the same fatal error also appears, then I will have to send the cheque back to Vienna and, with great delay, wait for another. May 15th. This morning at 6.30, Mr Buntner went to Mackinac to learn the Mass and Bravery with Mr Murray. These are all deacons. Um, last evening I received $400 from Louis Trempe for the checking account. May 16th. Been home all day and read. Among other things, I have also looked for the O'Neill documents, but have found not one. I can testify under oath that I have no documents from him. Trempe sent me $100 more on the cheque, and now that now makes $500. May 17th. Ascension of our Lord Jesus Christ. I kept a little fire burning all day. It's a bit rainy. Toward evening I went to visit a sick Indian and heard his confession. May 18th. Today the unfortunate Dennis O'Neill passed through here on the Fountain City, a steamer. 
I do not know where he will turn. He will find his way blocked everywhere. He should mend his ways completely and resolutely or become something else. May 19th. I again visited the sick Indian at the canal and brought him an Indian prayer book and also promised him a Gawaki Masinagon, which I still must bring to him, besides a flower of piety. May 20th, Sunday. Today Father Manet preached and I preached at the High Mass. There were quite a few people from the other side. May 21st. The North Star expected today, but she probably will come only tomorrow. We shall see. In the evening, we received the news that she is frightfully aground. The tug went down to loosen her. May 22nd. Still no North Star. She is perhaps damaged. Paid a visit to sick Briggs and the sick Indian, but he is now on the road to recovery. He promised to drink no more and to come to church diligently. May God give him the grace for that. May 23rd. At noon, the North Star arrived at the Sioux. Entirely unexpected, and I sailed on her for Superior. The journey is very pleasant. Few passengers and fair weather, and cheap fare, only $13 to Superior. May 24th. The journey continues to be very pleasant. I have a splendid stateroom, and not, and I'm not seasick in the least. All day I read the life of St. Francis Xavier. I saw Father Teal and his nicely arranged church and residence. May 25th. Arrived at Le Pont at noon, where we scarcely remained 15 minutes. The same in Bayfield. I had no time to inspect the new church there. Footnote. The church at Bayfield was a low but neat and well-decorated frame building, 24 by 70 feet. It had been built in 1860 by Father John Chabot. It was used until 1898, at which time it was used as a church hall and eventually tore down and the good lumber used for the construction of a school. I had no time to inspect the church there. That's that Bayfield one I just read about. I promised to come again in 12 or 14 days and remain for a few weeks. In the evening, I arrived in Sad Superior. May 26th. I was in the house all day waiting for people to visit me. No confessions, yet perhaps they will begin to come later in the evening. Very few have come. I hope they will come during the week and next Saturday. May 27th. Pentecost. This morning there were a few confessions and also a few communions. The custom required confession before reception of Holy Communion. At the first Mass, which I offered at 730 and the second, even fewer and also very few people. Three short sermons at the Mass and three again after Vespers. May 28th. Today I visited poor Mrs. Dane and heard her confession. She has a terrible cancer sore around her nose and mouth. Mr. Angole gave me a recipe for healing cancer sores. May 29th. Last night it stormed and rained frightfully. Terrible roads in Superior. Fortunately, there are sidewalks almost everywhere. Otherwise, it would not be possible to get around in this weather. Brought the Holy Eucharist to Mrs. Denny. May 30th. There were more confessions today and many communions this morning, as well as many candidates for confirmation at the instructions. In the afternoon, I heard the confession of sick Mrs. Ryan, miserable afflicted humanity. May 31st. A very nice day. The old May wishes to coax us a little before it leaves us. 
brought to Mrs. Ryan the Holy Eucharist. Until now I have baptised ten children, but there are perhaps more to be baptised. And then he has a letter and a pencil, baptised one more today. And that ends the entries for 1860 for May. 1861 for May. We might get these done because although there's a lot of them, they're quite, they're quite short. May 1st, beginning of the month of May. In the evening, at the beginning of the service for the month of Mary, I preached in the cathedral. May 2nd, today was the commemoration of the deceased prelate Fenwick and other clergymen. At 9 o'clock was a requiem mass, which I preached. At noon, we dined in the seminary. May 3rd, I wrote in the name of the council to the central directors of the Ludwig Mission Society in Bavaria. The footnote on that is the letter was a formal thank you letter. May 3rd, I wrote, uh, no, May 4th. This noon, the council, as regards consultations, was adjourned. In the afternoon, I accomplished some business in preparation for my departure the day after tomorrow. May 5th, Sunday, solemn closing of the council in the cathedral. This morning, a collection was taken for me at St Mary's Church, which brought in $77. At 3pm, I preached in this church. May 6th, at 6am, left Cincinnati, and by 4pm, arrived in Toledo, where we had to remain overnight. May 7th, departed from Toledo at 4am and at 7 arrived in Detroit, where I remained overnight because Mr Van Pemel had not yet arrived. That's the Belgian priest that we'd heard about in the previous month, I think. May 8th, at 7am, Mr Van Pemel arrived and at 4am in the afternoon, 4 in the afternoon, we, Van Pemel changed his mind and returned with Barriga to Sousson-Marie. He took care of the parish while Barriga made his summer visitations. We sailed from Detroit to the Iron City. Ascension of our Lord, May 9th. Spent the entire day on the steamboat in Reading. May 10th. At 12 noon arrived at the Sioux, where I received terrible reports about Teal's drinking, which induced me to depart immediately for Lake Superior, if only the slow Illinois would arrive. May 11th. All day, I waited for the slow Illinois. This morning and yesterday evening, I wrote many letters. At 7pm, I departed on the Illinois. May 12th, Sunday, which I spent reading on the boat. At noon we arrived in Marquette. Mr. Duroc had gone to Nigani. Nothing but complaints about him as often as I show myself in Marquette. In the evening we arrived at Portage Entry and remained there overnight. May 13th, early in the morning we sailed from Portage Entry to Eagle Harbour where I saw the unfortunate Teal and heard terrible things about him from Bernard. In the evening arrived in Ontonogan, where I met Father Adelschek and remained overnight. May 14th, this noon sailed to La Ponte. Father Chabelle was in Superior, where he spent five weeks ago, but is prevented by the ice from returning. May 15th, early in the morning we arrived again in Ontonogan and remained there all day. Whiling away the time, Father Andershek left for Minnesota to prepare for his trip to Eagle Harbour. May 16th, at 10am, sailed from Ontonogon via Eagle Harbour, Eagle River and Corper Harbour. May 17th, after a successful but rather unprofitable journey at six of six days, I arrived at 6pm back in the Sioux, where I met James Sweeney, but no one else. May 18th, wrote letters all day. May 19th, Sunday, this morning Teal arrived. He made a sworn promise not to drink any more intoxicating liquors as long as he remains in America. In the evening, Father Van Pemel went to Garden City. May 20th. This morning Teal went back again. 
Father James Sweeney, or Mr. James Sweeney, began to keep school today until a new teacher arrives. May 21st, Father Van Pamel returned from Garden City this afternoon. Father Terhorst is preparing for his departure to Lons. May 22nd, spent the day in preparing because I must immediately go up again the ne- on the next North Star. Barriga changed his mind and went down to Detroit instead. May 23rd. The new teacher, William Donovan, arrived here. Perhaps I have made a mistake in letting him come here. May 24th, Mr James Sweeney went to Portage Lake on the Illinois. I am waiting for a boat to go to Detroit for another teacher for Garden Island. May 25th, waited all day for a boat. Finally, 6pm, I boarded the city of Cleveland bound for Detroit. However, we remain lying at dock the entire night. May 26th, Sunday, at 4am the ship departed. I spent the entire holy day in reading. On the whole, we had a good journey. May 27th, at 11am, I arrived in Detroit, where I immediately asked for Agent DeWitt Leach, but I could not find him. He was the Indian agent for Mackinac and the surrounding area. May 28th, today I applied two chest blasters. At 10am, I found Agent Leach in his office and spoke about Dennis Harrington, but I could get no definite answer. May 29th. Today at last, Agent Leach gave Dennis Harrington his appointment as teacher for the school at Garden Island. Finch gave me $10 for Hippie. May 30th. Corpus Christi at 5.30 offered Mass in the cathedral at 11 preached in English. May 31st. At 9am we set out from Detroit on the propeller Marquette. May, which was mostly cold and unfriendly, makes a warm and glorious exit. And we won't be able to cover the remaining years of um, of the May entries, but that gave us. I know it was a bit super speed at the last moment, but um, gives you an idea of of what's what's going on. So once again, thank you everybody, and thank you for all the feedback I get um, from people about doing the the diaries. Um, I hope that uh, this all the whole purpose of all this, of course, is to spread. Um, the uh, the cult of Bishop Agar. The Lord be with you and with your spirit. And may Almighty God bless you, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I hope all your families are safe as we get through what begins the summer season, that if people are travelling, that they look after themselves. We still live in um, difficult and complicated times. And I hope and pray that if you're going to journey anywhere or your loved ones are journeying, that they find their destination nice and safe. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now at the hour of our death. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. You can listen again to this or any other episode of Let's Talk Catholic at our blog, Let's Talk Catholic Podcast.blogspot.com, or you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, or almost any other podcast provider. You can also like us on Facebook. Let's Talk Catholic is produced by Nick Medelsky and can be heard right here on Relevant Radio in Northern Michigan, Saturdays at noon. Excellent.